If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Good morning, everyone. You're on Reality Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, my goodness. Bit of palaver, of course, at Waitangi Day um, and the lead up to it. Uh, we're not talking about that as but as a sidebar, but we've got a very special guest along who has written the one book you must read. I don't say that lightly. If you read nothing else for the next five years, you should read Ewan McQueen's One Sun in the Sky because it is a beautifully written book. It is a beautiful history of New Zealand. It will make you proud to be a New Zealander. Not just for the great visionaries that led the settlement of this country, but also to the Maori leaders who joined with them and who signed the treaty. And it will also highlight for you how off track our modern political history and activists and politicians have become and how disconnected they are from our history, from our past, and from the great leaders that made this country possible. Good morning, Ewan. Good morning, Rodney. Thank you for your wonderful introduction. Well, I mean it most genuinely, because usually when you read a New Zealand book, you're a little disappointed because it's written for a smaller audience, doesn't have the money or the time put into it that a great work of fiction or nonfiction will have that's from the United States or the UK. But your book, is clearly a labour of love in terms of scrupulous uh, attention to details and facts. And you've laboured over it to present it and write it beautifully. And it does. It's like reading about a great hero. or um, These people are heroes, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the book... um... It's One Sun in the Sky, the untold story of, of sovereignty in the Treaty of Waitangi. So it's looking at the whole issue of sovereignty uh, and how that was understood at the time of the treaty and, and in the years which followed. Uh, and in doing that, you know, you, you get to look at some pieces of New Zealand history which are really quite remarkable, and you find some leaders um, who are really quite remarkable. And, and I think of people like Henry Williams and, and the missionaries uh, who came to New Zealand you know, they crossed thousands of miles of ocean to come here to spread the gospel and did amazing things uh, among Māori. Henry Williams in particular was just a a, a real uh, man of integrity, a real man of courage and conviction. He was ex-Royal Navy. Um, he, he just travelled all over New Zealand. Um, but, you know, but predominantly the book is about uh, iwi leaders, tribal leaders, and because it's looking at how did they view the treaty which they had agreed to. And there's some wonderful stories there too about people like Tamate Wakanene, 
uh, Renata Kawepo, all sorts of chiefs all over New Zealand and their views about the treaty. So, and I, you know, I've tried to be fair and, and objective and simply, you know, just just let people present the the historical evidence in a way that people can see what they thought and what they said. And actually, many people, when they read the book, are quite surprised uh, at some of the statements that they come across. But, um, yeah, it's all there for people to read. The book's actually going very well. I mean, nearly 3,000 copies sold so far. Um, so people are finding it a very helpful uh, and, and engaging book. We'll do this at the start and we'll do this at the end. How do people buy your book, Ewan? Oh, it's predominantly online. I mean, there are a number of bookshops around New Zealand which have taken copies, normally because people walk in off the street and they've heard about it and they, and they request the bookstore to get it in. So people can do that. But predominantly, the book is sold online. It's got a website. It's called, you go to www.onesuninthesky. It's all one word, onesuninthesky.com. And you can order a book there for um, $39.50, and that includes uh, postage. Well, you should buy three because you'll read one and you want to keep it, and you'll easily give two away. And the two people you give it to will bless you because um, I can't I can't speak more highly of your book, Ewan. Um, Thank you. I, I don't think I've read. I look, I can't. I struggle to read the history books of New Zealand because they're slanted to me. And um, your book is these figures of our history in their own words. And you can't take their own words out of their mouth. They're there. They were there. They said it. And what I hadn't appreciated until I read your book that it was recorded and, yeah, there's, uh, there's an awful lot of historical evidence that is available um, that is written. You know, we don't have to rely on oral um, testimony, as it were. There is plenty yeah. of written evidence of what uh, the tribal leaders were saying. And, um, you know, in the book, I've tried to uh, strike a tone that is unifying, uh, that is honouring and respectful of, of all New Zealanders. Um, and I think that's important because we live in a time where <laughs> Uh, we are becoming increasingly polarised and there's quite a lot of inflammatory stuff going around, particularly mm. at the moment. And I don't think that's helpful. I think we need to engage with the issue, absolutely, uh, but we need to engage with it respectfully and 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 truthfully. And the title, One Sun in the Sky, is particularly poignant. Explain for us what that means and who said it. Yeah, well, that, that comes from a wee story about a meeting between um, Sir Joseph Ward, who was the Prime Minister in 1908, and Rua Kenana, who was Tuhoi chief. And in 1908, um, Rua Kenana came down to Whakatane and met with Joseph Ward on the beach, I think it was, uh, because there were, he had some concerns about the way um, the, the Crown was implementing its policies. And he raised the issue of of crown sovereignty and that uh you know questioning whether there was crown sovereignty over all new zealanders and and joseph ward simply replied look there can't be two suns in the sky there's only one sun shining in the sky and that's king i think it was king william at that point um or king george i can't quite recall but anyway he said look there's one sun in the sky uh there was one sovereignty in new zealand and it is expressed through the parliament of New Zealand. And Uruakenana actually accepted his 
reply, and he went back to Tuhoi and he actually wrote on a flag that he had one law for all. Now, as it transpired, <laughs> he, um, would be, he would be he would be as a racist. I know, I know. <laughs> and the same um, age. Yeah, as it transpired, um, Tuhoi after that did suffer some serious injustice from Crown action. So uh, the the Crown didn't actually treat Tuhoi with one law for all, um, yeah. and, there's, and there's since been some treaty settlements around that. But the essence of the meeting was that you know, look, there's one government in New Zealand, there's one sovereignty, um, and so hence the title of the book. Yeah, what upsets me reading your book is the huge injustice done to the leaders of New Zealand at this time, the disparate leaders at this time, because the so-called colonisers have been totally besmirched Mm. as having base motives and being greedy, nasty and racist. And the Iwi leaders... The tribal leaders are treated by modern history or the modern interpretation of this time or the contemporary interpretation as ignorant. Hmm. And when you read your book, you come away so proud of the European leaders and their compassion and their integrity and their courage and their vision for the future. And you come away amazed at the tribal leaders' vision, intelligence, and understanding. These weren't fools. No, not at all. And um, and they had travel. Yes, they had. And, uh, you know, just, just, you know, to qualify a little bit, I mean, not everyone was was the most wonderful person on earth on, on both course. sides. Uh, there, there, it was a mixed bag on both sides, but there were some really good leaders uh, in New Zealand at that time. And, the, and their vision in, in the treaty really was to create one country uh, under one sovereignty, two peoples. We, we weren't talking about everybody being the same. You know, as Apiranata later said, you know, we are equal citizens, but we're not identical citizens. So um, no one was suggesting that, we should all just become Pākehā, uh, and no one was suggesting we should all become Māori either. You know, there, there was a vision for having two peoples living under one government. And, of course, the treaty also um, promised uh, tino ranga tiratanga, self-determination for Māori, but that was always understood as being within the context of the overarching sovereignty of the Crown over all New Zealanders. Um, you know, the modern narrative is that we, you know, the, the treaty set up two governments, in New Zealand. The, the governor was only going to be over Parker and, and the chiefs retained full independent sovereignty over their own people. That's that's the modern narrative. I mean, the Waitangi Tribunal basically declared that 2014. Um, but the evidence doesn't support that narrative. The evidence, when you look at what the chiefs were saying, uh, which indicated what how they understood the treaty, they understood that this treaty was going to establish uh, the sovereignty of the Crown, the preeminent governing authority of the Crown over all New Zealanders, including themselves. And yes, they, they understood their chieftainship would be honoured, and they understood that their property rights would be respected, uh, and subsequently that did not happen. Um, but that's a separate issue, you know. Mm. That is a separate issue, and New Zealand has been on a bit of a settlement 
journey for some years now trying to put right some of those things, and that, that's good. It's not been perfect, but it's been, I think, very good. But on this issue of sovereignty, uh, it was very clear that the, the vision at the time was quite different from the vision we are being told today. Um, and, you know, even in the last few days, uh, the, the misinformation and that gets promoted around the treaty, it's really quite disturbing. Um, disturbing. Know, our state broadcaster last night had um, had a section on what the treaty meant on Seven Sharp. And, you know, it really was like, well, that was not the treaty I recognised at all. And, in fact, that was not the treaty that most New Zealanders recognised for 150 years, uh, including uh, Māori themselves. But in the last 30 years, things have changed, and now we have this revisionist narrative around the treaty, creating two separate governments in New Zealand, dual sovereignty. I look forward to the day when every New Zealand student has a copy um, of One Sun in the Sky uh, in their school bag. And well, that would be great, yeah. Wouldn't that uh, – you can't imagine – a more significant change occurring in New Zealand than that one thing, than than actually did not 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 even necessarily to have accepted your book, but simply to have read it. Yeah, well, I was I was interested to read the um, uh, the Act Party Coalition Agreement with National. I think it was uh, where there was a statement about rebalancing the New Zealand history's curriculum. Mm. Um, and uh, in reading that, I thought well, I, should, I should contact the Minister of Education uh, and suggest here, here's here's a way that you could help rebalance. Just and even get is, it in the library. Exactly, get 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 these into the libraries in New Zealand secondary schools, so that people can have a choice about mm. whether they want to read an alternative viewpoint. Because at mm. the moment, uh, there is only one viewpoint that is presented. Um, and uh, <laughs> I was just thinking, actually. This morning, you know, it's not really one news anymore. It's one views. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, the view that gets presented is just completely one-sided. And New Zealanders are intelligent enough that if you put evidence before them and put two cases before them, they can actually decide, you know, which one they think is 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 the truth. Mm. There is three, four great books, I think, of that I love about New Zealand, four great books. One is, two of them are by um, John Mulgan, a uh, report on experience, posthumous from his experience in World War II. Right. Man Alone, which he wrote before the war. Uh, Charles Uppen, Mark of a Lion. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I love that book. And yeah, that's book, right. And your book. And your book is the most significant because it's about our history and our present political troubles. And I dare again, I just want to commend you because all the politics and all the hoo-ha and brouhaha that is occurring around these events, nothing will endure like your book. And I do commend listeners to buy and read it and gift it. Because yeah, we I have need to, say, to get this understanding out. Yeah, I mean, there are there are. I get a lot of repeats um, from people who have read it, and then they want some more copies. Um, and at Christmas, I normally do a, a bit of a special, um, and people come back and buy 
large numbers of copies yes, together as, as gifts. So I, I get, because um, I advertise on social media, um, I get quite a bit of, um, uh, well, positive feedback now that the book's out there and people have read it, uh, from people who have read it, very, very positive feedback. Uh, <laughs> but, of course, I also get some some rather uh, less than positive feedback, yeah. but it's nearly always from people who haven't read it. Yeah. Um, if people read the book, they will find they will normally be surprised and say, oh, this, is, "This is this is a it's engaging, it's interesting. There are the stories about our history which people find fascinating. Uh, B, it's well researched. It's uh, everything is referenced, and and C, the 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 picture that is being presented in the book is is quite different, very different mm. from from what people have been told for the last twenty or thirty years about." Mm. Uh, the treaty and about our history. Yeah. Well, I commend and that's why you. I for, think it's so popular. Yeah. I commend you for being on social media because I couldn't stand it. I'm a great. <laughs> I'm a great fan of Twitter. Right. And I literally get my news now from Twitter. And right. I'm up to date with Twitter or X now, and I very much enjoy it. But for the life of me, I couldn't imagine posting on it because of. I guess they're trolls that they call trolls, but the absolute nastiness yeah. aligned with the absolute ignorance of people. And I can even read, I'll read an interesting post and then I'll go and read the comments, which I enjoy and same on the blogs and the comments can be so nasty and so disturbing. They trouble me all day. Oh, like I, I, I get some of that stuff, and like even this morning, you know, I, I had to delete and block. I've, I've discovered the block function in, in Facebook, which has been a, a great discovery. You know, with people, um, you know, I got a couple of threats the, this morning, and I just don't respond to. No. If, if people want to threaten you in any way, it's like, well, okay, here's here's the block. We don't want to hear from you again. Um, I get some people who uh, want to engage and, and uh, ask questions, and as long as they do that respectfully, I'm, I'm happy to engage a little and bit. And in good I, faith. Absolutely. You know, the whole, yeah. look, talk about good faith. I had another chap about a year ago who, who engaged me in what I thought was a good faith conversation, and then I got a private message from him saying that he was he was going to sue me. Um, it, it recorded everything <laughs> we'd seen. And I, and I just thought, well, oh, goodness me. Um, a, I hadn't said anything defamatory, so you, you, good luck with that, mate. And B, we don't want to hear from you again. Thanks very much. No. Um, but anyway, you get you get some people who are um, just shout and scream a lot and, and, you know, those comments are just deleted. You get you get some people who, who do want to engage respectfully. To be honest, there's not that many of them. And, and I do um, try and engage. But I don't. I don't go on and on because you can actually get into. I'm not here to debate the issue on Facebook. Anything, I'm here. Yeah. I'm here to promote a book, mm. and and the book says what I want to say, and it mm. says it in the way I want to say it, and with the mm. tone and the heart with which I want to say it. And that that heart is a heart that wants to bring unity and kotahitanga across mm. all New Zealanders, you know. Mm. And unfortunately, Facebook's not a great forum for that sort of thing. No. Um, I do though get some real gems. Uh, you know, like recently there's, there's a chap called, um, well, I won't mention his name, but uh, a Māori chap who just wrote, you know, if people need to read this book. You know, 
it's I, it's presents a view that it's not my view, but man, it's a great book and and you know it's a, it's really good for New Zealand. Um, beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. Now, hmm. tell me, what do you make of David Seymour's Treaty Principles Bill? You hmm. stood for politics. You followed politics a long time. Um, just to clear the decks. I love it that we're having the debate. Hmm. I'm not certain that I haven't studied the bill. I'm going to have David on shortly. Sure. But I'm not sure that a referendum uh, and legislation is the way to settle this difficulty. I, I'm I'm sort of very much uh, in agreement with your view, Rodney. I The bill hasn't actually been um, drafted. Oh, yet. okay. That's probably why um, I haven't read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's, we'll, we'll see it soon. Uh, but you can see uh, from the ACT Party um, policy document what they are intending, you know. And, you know, they're basically saying they're taking the three articles of the treaty and they're saying, okay, here's a principle, here's the main principle that arises from that, and let's legislate and say these are the principles that should apply, and and then we'll have a referendum to confirm that. Now, my my view has been that when it comes to history, uh, history is history. And I don't think referendums are particularly helpful in helping us to um, define history, because the mm. treaty was what the treaty was. Mm. And, and, we, and the main point is that we, we get to the bottom of what really what was it. Everyone's going on about we need to honour the treaty. Well, um, and... And we do need to honour the treaty, and I don't think there are many people who, who say we shouldn't. But the question is, what is the treaty that we are honouring? You know, what does it mean? Mm. And that's what my book speaks into. Um, and so I'm, I'm a little bit weary of having referendums to sort of try and, uh, you know, I just don't think our history can be decided by referendum. However, you can't imagine the Declaration of Independence or the American Constitution or indeed the treaty being set to a referendum. Um, no. Because these are great principles of constitutional significance that need to be brought into. And, and they are enduring. Yeah, not they are enduring. At one point in time by 51%. Pre and precisely. I, mm. I also have a concern that... Um, the point of principles and a constitution is that you don't disadvantage a minority view. Yes. Now, you and I understand that, and the principles of the treaty properly understood, the articles of the treaty precisely achieve that hmm. because they allow for citizenship that is equal and freedom and property ownership. And so, self determination, yeah individuals are protected but if we're going to set it up that these things can be decided by majority vote you can end up subjecting yourself to the views of you, you can subject yourself to the views of the mob or a tyranny yeah absolutely yeah um, and yet i'm divided because i say to myself the three articles are very clear, and when I read your book, they're very clear on both sides 
of the agreement and in both mm. languages absolutely yes. crystal clear and they were understood so i've got that historical fact then we have the present political situation we're riddled all the way through legislation and government departments and indeed corporations is this notion of principles of the treaty mm. without definition and they are assumed to include things like co-governance and partnership which is nothing could be further from the truth and we somehow have to say hang on if we're referring to principles we actually have to have a shared agreement as to what they are or get rid of the phrase that's driving us because yeah. it doesn't make sense isn't that no. true oh yeah, absolutely and i think uh, just coming back to the act policy um i i i i am I'm in two minds a little bit, perhaps a bit like you, um, because I don't think history can be decided by referendum. And, no. and when it comes to constitutional issues, you're right. You don't want a referendum uh, where the majority um, can actually negate um, rights of minorities. You can have the, the tyranny of the majority, mm -hmm. um, but you can also have the tyranny of the minority as well. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that it's brought to the fore the debate and the mm -hmm. discussion around the treaty and around the principles, I think is a good thing. Mm. And, you know, I've never seen such um, forthright debate and discussion about what did the treaty actually mean before? Yeah. Because for, for so many years, we've not been allowed to discuss that. It's just been assumed that the treaty meant, you know, the modern narrative. At last, by the fact that we have this government and, and the Act policy around the Treaty Principles Bill, and of course the New Zealand First uh, views on that as well. Um, we had, the discussion's been brought to a head. You know, people are actually starting to talk about it, and I think that's a good thing. And if if this bill brings more uh, brings that question into the public square more for open debate, I'm you know I think that's probably a very good thing. Mm. Um, the problem with the principles of the treaty is of course um they've never been defined um they've uh, they've been the ones that have been put in place have been decided by courts uh by lawyers um by activists and and, and bureaucrats and i can understand and the gravy train oh yes and and i can under and so to be honest some of them are quite good um, yeah. um but i can understand where david seymour's coming from in terms of well, hey well let's let the people decide what the principles are mm. um so discussion or, or have a discussion about it yeah funnily um, enough the best outcome may be a long long debate and discussion about it and the referendum ne referendum never happens i i think that's probably what's going to happen i mean we know the national party is not going to support yeah. this bill past first reading mm. um and good on them for allowing it to have first reading because that does allow the debate it allows it go to, to go to select committee and um i look forward to putting in my submission when when the bill comes through um so well, it will allow discussion and that's good well and also too i funnily enough I would quite like there to be a referendum as well, because that'll just further the debate and the discussion. Um, and 
increase that shared understanding. And I think it's also, I've been hypercritical of David Seymour, probably because, you know, I have too much of a vested interest in the ACT Party, but I was hypercritical of him over the whole COVID thing. And I just couldn't imagine that my own party would mandate, require people to be mandate, mandate people out of their work and this right. stuff. I just, it was just, I couldn't imagine anything more abhorrent. I mean, it's bad enough that we had a government doing it to us, but my own little party doing it to us as well was too much for me to bear. Right. But I have to say, for me, David Seymour almost redeemed himself by fronting up to Waitangi Day. And I've been reflecting on that this week because he could have suffered some serious violence there. Oh, absolutely. And and I think, there you know, some I thought... hotheads, there were some hotheads yeah. in the crowd. And my memory of the day when I went was it was a whole lot more peaceful and communal and pleasant than you'd know from the news. I, th I think David said that himself, actually, about about yes. yesterday. Or the, was it yesterday? It's, um... Yeah, we never. But... It was yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but isn't it great that we he highlighted for us that you can actually front up and we can actually have this discussion and we can actually walk away. And yes, the news will try and make it violent and their people bearing their buttocks and the media have done their job of making a compelling story and having one side read it and say, yeah, 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 yeah. Show those sods what we're all on about. And then the other side is saying, oh, look at that. Isn't that terrible? This is so awful. And doing this great division thing, when mm. in fact David Seymour went up there, gave a speech, bit of controversy, that then had a few giggles and a few laughs, I bet, when the cameras weren't going, and headed home, showing that we're a lot closer than is portrayed I, I think there are a lot more things that bind us together than, than pull us apart. Absolutely. And, you know, the the, the service, I don't know if you saw the, the Dawn no, service. No, I, 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 I am off grid. I don't watch the news. I right. just find that my um, sanity and temperament has greatly improved the less news I wear. <laughs> Probably mine as well, especially when I um, I get, um, you know, one news telling, oh, sorry, one views telling us every night that the government, you know, Maori are rising up because the government want to to rewrite the treaty. And it's isn't like, that, isn't it's that, not rewriting the treaty. How uh, could you be, how could you be so hysterically misinforming and call yourself a journalist well there's been a real um uh, you know deterioration in journalistic standards mm -hmm. in new zealand as it has been in the whole western world i think we we end up with people not presenting news and and different sides mm -hmm. of a viewpoint it's just decided there isn't an approved viewpoint and that's the one we push and um of course one views 
tends to do that very well. But anyway, the service at Waitangi yesterday morning, the dawn service, was actually a beautiful service. Yes. Um, many people spoke very well. There was one really lovely moment, actually, where a young Maori woman um, got up and uh, she said, um, and this was near the beginning of the service, I want to sing a song called Rescue because, you know, many years ago my life was a complete mess and no one could help me apart from one person. And that person was Jesus. And she said, it was just beautiful. And she's saying this song and they panned around and I could see Tama Iti in the audience there with tears in his eyes. And I thought there's hope for New Zealand. Um, And and that hope is actually a person uh, and it's with a big H. So, you know, we, when you look at sort of the, the, uh, the state of New Zealand and around this issue, it's very inflamed, and you do wonder sometimes how are we going to settle this? Um, but I think one of the main ways in which we can look forward to settlement is look back to what built unity in New Zealand in the first place. And the Christian thing that the, exactly the thing that the treaty was founded on was the Judeo-Christian faith. That's why Maori signed the treaty. That's why they had trust because they thought the uh, the British crown was a uh, a representative of Christian civilization. Unfortunately, they were let down later. There's no doubt about that. But in the beginning, New Zealand was founded on a vision of, of trust and honour and respect, and the Christian faith was very much part of that. And uh, if we want to um, regain that sort of unity in the future, we are going to have to look again to our roots and mm. and Christianity. And I think that's very important. And that's what I was so touched by that that young woman uh, just talking and singing that song about who had helped her, Ihu Karaiti. Isn't it interesting that when you're in a debate and you're not getting anywhere, you sort of have to step back a level and get some first principles established. Mm. And that's what a Christian belief does because it's something that any New Zealander can identify with, even a non-believer. And isn't it wonderful when you have this supernatural, beyond our comprehension belief but told always through personal testimony mm. because it, it touches you. This young woman's speech touches you on a one-to-one level because it's her personal testimony. Yes. But at the same time, it brings you into this huge holistic metaphysical view of the universe and it is amazing because i would be sitting there with tears in my eyes agreeing with her right alongside tamaiti mm, yes and you're right. I, I, you know that that's just it gives me hope it gives I me do. hope for, for our nation and hope that we can find a way forward um, because sometimes you look at it and you think, man, how's, how are we going to sort out this mess? Because people are so um, uh, aggressive in their views 
Mm. And people are so adamant that, you know, we never gave up sovereignty. We never, and and frankly, they're so misinformed about our mm. history. Uh, and you think, well, how, how can you have two sovereignties in one country? It doesn't normally work. It normally ends up uh, in conflict. And we don't want conflict in New Zealand. No. We don't want that. Um, so we need truth about our history, but we also need someone else who can help us. And I believe that someone else is the same someone who helped that that beautiful young woman who spoke at the service yesterday morning. Yeah. Because it is takes you out of yourself. Yeah. It has 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 you sort of looking down on yourself and down on the situation and causes you to reflect not about what suits you, not about um what you want, but about what is right and true. And again, that's why you can move Tamaiti and you can move a hard heart like me. Um, tell me, you mentioned there, and this is a question of a theological nature and a historical nature. You said that it was founded on Judeo-Christian uh, views, which is something I would say. But what's the Judeo bit? Oh, the Judeo bit is simply because Christianity itself um, arose out of Judaism, you know, yes. Jesus Christ, Ihu Koraiti, um, was he actually, was he was a Jew, Yeshua. Yeah. And so uh, our roots are in Judaism and in Israel, uh, historically. So that's why people talk about Judeo-Christian views. And actually, Christianity is a fulfillment of the Old Testament, you know, the New Testament yes. is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so Christianity doesn't negate Judaism, it just fulfills it. Um, and that's why people talk about Judeo-Christian views. I mean, so, I was, so would those early missionaries have used that phrase too? I'm not sure. Um, probably among Maori, they just kept it simple. Um, and talked about Ihu Karaiti, you know, um, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, Te Atua Matua, Te Atua Tama, Te Atua Wairua, you know, the Holy Spirit. Um, so, but I, I just think, I always think when we're talking about these sorts of things of Tamatu Wakanene, who, uh, you know, at the Koi Marama conference in 1860, uh, this is like 20 years after the uh, signing of the treaty. You know, he said, he said, you know, we wouldn't be here today. It was a big conference, a lot of tribal leaders and, and, um, and, uh, you know, Donald McLean and others, uh, in the, in the government. He said, we wouldn't be here today under this one roof if it wasn't for the word of God. And he was talking about the Christian gospel. You know, this is what has brought us, allowed us to be in this place. And that is the way he wanted to go forward. And so I, I think, you know, if we need something that can help us bring unity in New Zealand, it is the Christian faith. There's no doubt about that. Uh, because it's like you say, it allows you to step back from your own opinions uh, and, and in humility try and assess what is true. Mm. And also in humility look and say, you know, what is best for us as a whole, as a nation, for my, my brother here? my brother there, whether they're Pākehā or Māori, um, what is best for us all rather than just adamantly going at, you know, um, a particular political ideology. How was it possible for those missionaries 
to arrive in New Zealand and Christianize, if that's a word. It was very difficult. It was, I mean, the, the first uh, interactions began around 1814, of course, when Samuel Marsden arrived in the Bay of Islands um, and preached the gospel, uh, Te Haranui, uh, at uh, Rangihua uh, on Christmas Day, which was pretty pretty impressive that the first Christian sermon in New Zealand was on Christmas, Christmas Day, 1814. And then, you know, after that, Samuel Marsden wasn't based here. He was based in uh, Sydney. They sent a smaller group of missionaries who struggled uh, until about 18. And when you say they sent, who's the they? It's the church. Oh, the, they, the, the they is like predominantly the Anglican um, Church Missionary Society. So this mm -hmm. is a, 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 the CMS, as they called them in England. But there was also the, the Methodists, the Wesleyans. They also sent uh, missionaries from the, the Wesleyan CMS, uh, Catholics also, but they were a bit later. Um, but in those, in those years between 1814 and 1822, there was just a small band who were really struggling. And then this one intrepid, courageous individual arrived with his family, um, Henry Williams, you know, ex-Royal Navy. And he transformed uh, by his leadership what was happening. And he, and he changed the focus so that instead, because Samuel Marsden had, had a view that you need to civilise, you know, and um, he's in, in, in Williams' view, civilized first. And, and Williams' view was, well, we need to learn Maori. We need to learn today. We need to engage with these people where they're at, you know. <laughs> and so he he changed the whole focus. And we also need to share the gospel. We need to share the Te Haranui with them directly. And for the next ten years, there was further struggle, but things were starting to to change. Uh, you had the musket wars, of course, through the, the 1820s. Um, the missionaries were, because of that, were very much restricted in the Bay of Islands because it was just too dangerous to go out into the rest of New Zealand. But the, the wonderful thing that started happening was that, uh, you know, Napui would go out on raids, take slaves, bring them back to the Bay of Islands. Uh, the slaves would come under the influence of the missionaries. Uh, become Christians, their their owners would also become Christians, and they would release them, you know, as, as a, an expression of their Christian faith. They'd set free their slaves, and then these people would go back, and they went back to places all over New Zealand and take the gospel with them. And so Isn't what you found, wonderful? yeah, and what you found was um, sometimes Williams and others would then, when the musket wars did sort of phase down a bit, they finally got to go out into the rest of New Zealand and what they found was they'd turn up at places and the, the whole village was already Christian. And the, the, they'd be singing the songs. They'd be, uh, and so it's like, in spite of being restricted, the, the, the Te Haranui had gone forth anyway. And then in the 1830s, you know, when, when after the musket wars had phased down quite a bit, uh, the gospel just really took off across many Māori in New Zealand, and there were many commentators who thought that New Zealand had become a Christian country. You know, there was just tens of thousands of Māori who had become Christians. The, the Māori New Testament, Te Kawanatahu, uh, had been printed in Paihia, and the, the demand for copies was just, you know, there was always exceeding the supply. 
and there were thousands and thousands and thousands of copies going out because Māori was so hungry for the message of it. And that laid the foundation for what then happened in 1840 in the treaty, and people don't really realise this, um, because Māori had accepted the gospel, They had, and as I said before, they said, let's have one government, one, one country under God, uh, and uh, they, they considered the British crown to be a representative of Christian civilization. As I say, they were disappointed by that down the track. But that's how it began. Um, the, it's an extraordinary story because what is it, Ewan, about those or Christianity and the Christian missionaries? This is going to sound controversial if I was an activist or sitting in your high school. But <laughs> Wouldn't be the first it, thing in this interview, Rodney, that's controversial. What was it about them and the Christian faith that had them spreading the word of God and having it, and it, having it accepted without force? Well, I think that's, that's the truth of the gospel everywhere in history isn't it when when it's a voluntary thing people uh, you can't force people to accept uh, uh christianity it's always been um something where where it truly takes root where people are given the freedom they're presented with the news um and they're given the freedom to choose and that's that's what happened in new zealand and I mean, of course, it's interesting that, uh, that even even uh, people like Claudia Orange and others say how influential uh, Te Kawanatahu, you know, the Maori New Testament was in helping Maori understanding of the treaty because some of the words from yes. Te Kawanatahu influenced would have influenced their understanding, and uh, I, I she has a particular view of how that would have influenced them. Uh, I agree that it would definitely have influenced him, but perhaps in a very different way from the way that Claudia Orange suggests, and I go into that in the book, yeah. Yes, because it's hard to picture now, but actually if you're a Christian, you can see it. But this idea of a people who have lived in New Zealand for six, seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred years, and before that, wider Polynesia, having their customs and their mores passed down from generation to generation. This is how it's done. Having these magical, mythical beliefs, having chiefs, holy people, and almost in a flash of an eyelid, in a click of your fingers, the word of God right through New Zealand. Mm spontaneously and a people changing their entire world view not so much your entire world view but yeah absolutely christianity was 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 different from a lot of the the customs of, of maori absolutely yeah but uh and if you were a slave owner right and you give up your slaves. That didn't happen in the South. In the South of the United States. Sure. Yes. Uh, right. They were the 
the good Christians were slave owners. Sure. And here you had Maori saying this is wrong. And I can imagine if you were a slave who had been released, you'd be going home pretty keen to be a Christian. <laughs> but harder to imagine being a slave owner and saying, oh, I'm going to be a Christian and give up my slaves. Like that's a real consequence and cost to the it truth. Is, and it shows, I think, that the change was genuine. It shows that what was the the you know the the change of heart was not just an outward thing. It was actually a very genuine change of of um, heart when when many Maori became Christian. Because as you say, you don't do that sort of thing um, if it's just a, an outward change of form. You do it if it's a true change of heart. Huge change of heart, and again, voluntarily, spontaneously, no force of arms, and again. That Christian base or Judeo-Christian base to New Zealand's foundation is written out of our understanding. It's all about colonization. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's a very negative view of Christianity now um, among the, the academics. Um, but again, I think if people just read the history. The, you know, the, the documentary evidence that's available, they would come to some different conclusions. I mean, one of my favourite books, you've talked about your four favourite New Zealand books. Um, one of my one is is Henry Williams. Uh, no, it's not by Henry Williams. It's by his brother, William Williams. And he wrote a book called Christianity Among the New Zealanders. Oh, and I've it, not heard of it. Uh, it's a wonderful book. You can you can get it on Google, I think. Okay. Um, it's quite rare now, uh, but I found that book many, many years ago, and I picked it up, and and I, I thought, gee, this looks interesting, and it was absolutely fascinating. It was printed in 1867, and it, it tells the account basically from 1814 of of the work of the CMS missionaries in the Bay of Islands and the rest of New Zealand from that point onwards. And when you read that book, yeah, it's all firsthand. It's all this eyewitness stuff, people who were there. Um, it is just fascinating to see uh, the way that change came to New Zealand, real change, real honest from the heart change. I mean, there's a wonderful story, I think, of um, uh, talking about te kawanatahu, you know, and, and the demand for that. I think Nopera Panakarea um, sent uh, a gold sovereign to buy here because he wanted, he you know, and he said, please send me my copy of Te Kawanataho. And in, in, in all that, he had sent a gold sovereign. People were hungry, people and hungry across New Zealand for the gospel, yeah. And, of course, we struggle to read the Bible now. <laughs> Some people do, yes. <laughs> um, I read it every day, uh, Rodney. Um, but, uh, well, I, but if you know what I, I mean, try to. I try to. Yeah, you 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 can't imagine in your mind's eye. Yes, uh, back then, a Maori who's grown up pre pre European settlement, virtually sending a gold sovereign to read the Bible. To me, that's yep. extraordinary. It's no, absolutely. People were hungry. People were What's very the name of that hungry. book? William Williams, and the book is called 
uh, Christianity Among the New Zealanders. And that is a book that might be out of print, but we can read it on Google Books online. Yes, yes. Oh, wonderful. I will definitely look that up. That sounds um, sounds absolutely fascinating. So in your view, when we're looking at this discussion and this debate, and you watched that dawn service on TV, did you? Yeah, I, w- I watched it last night. I, I, I didn't get up at dawn. <laughs> I watched. I, I have so, been to a dawn service at Waitangi, yes. but um, that was uh, uh, 2020. But um, no, yes. I I got up. I, I sorry, I watched it last night. Yeah. Yes. So, in your view, that wonderful lady's testimony had cut through. Absolutely. Yeah. And the wonderful and, thing about it was that. Um, I don't know who had set the the agenda or or the order of service, but whoever did so knew that what she had to offer into that service was going to really set the tone. And so they put her pretty much at the beginning, and I, I just think it was wonderful, yeah. Mm. So we can't solve – this is my view, and I'm putting words into your mouth, but it's it's leading on to this, is that – we can't solve this at a policy level. We need to reach back spiritually as to who we are and what we believe. And our shared understanding comes to us from Christ. And that's something we have in common. And that the rest is noise. Yeah, I I think that's a fair summary, Rodney. We do have that Judeo-Christian heritage in common. People don't realise it, but probably Māori have more of a Judeo-Christian heritage in New Zealand than many Pākehā do. Um, That is what we have in common. That is the way we will find our way forward. Yes, we do need policy um answers as well and i I think we can't just go forward and and do nothing in terms of policy uh and but we need the the, but we need to as you say first come from a basis of of uh that christian faith that has informed and brought unity in the past so that together we can work our way forward with some practical policy issues fascinating i I, i'm reflecting on this quite hard because the whole new insight to me that you've brought to the discussion and i just don't see i just don't see how given the level of anger and angst and and misinformation we can do this without someone else helping us to do it and that someone else is someone that we have historically had good relations with both peoples in new zealand Mm. Um, and, you know, it's a problem in New Zealand for all sorts of things. You know, we have turned away from the Judeo-Christian values that build strong families in New Zealand, and we have so much social disintegration and and problems because of that. I mean, you, you've heard me over years saying this, Rodney, at, at, I have. at, at candidates' meetings. Um, and, you know, when you turn away from those values and indeed from the person of the values, you, you have problems, you have social problems, and, and families fail, and when families fail, governments grow, because governments have to pick up the pieces all mm. over the place. 
And we have so many social problems and economic costs uh, that have come into our country because as a nation, we have turned away from those values and from the person of the values. And for us to, as a nation, turn back to Yeshua, I'm like a little child. I'm like a little child because I've only recently accepted Jesus into my life. Right. And so I have a very clear understanding of what it was like before. Right. And what it is like now. Like literally, it's a year ago. (laughs) So, what's it like, Rodney? What's the difference? Ah. It's wonderful. Yes. It's truly wonderful. And what's particularly wonderful is I regarded modern society as having a thousand and one problems that if you fixed one of them, you would think you'd done a major achievement. Right. Whereas now I regard it as having but one. Yes. Also, while I was a person who I regarded as well-read and with a good understanding, I had no coherent view of the world around me of which I was a part. Right. That includes what is happening day to day, our history and our future. And it most notably comes to me because we have started the school year and I go along to the various school functions and and the end of year ones too, by the way. Right. And what is noticeable to me is you can't help but reflect back when I was at school and there was a Christian view of the world. And so you would have the pantomime or the play or the nativity scene, and there was a shared understanding and a shared set of values. Yeah, even if everybody wouldn't necessarily believe. Yes, that's been totally expunged, and the schools find themselves in need of something to inspire the students. And I've noticed two things. One is they inspire the students by the appeal to the self. Right. And so they say things like, oh, it's very important that you find your passion and pursue it. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have your passions and your passions come and go. Like, you're not going to make a living or live a good life by endlessly following your passions. That's a sort of recipe for narcissism of, of an indulgence following your passions. So I notice that all about the self and unlocking the child and child centered learning and all the rest, because they can't allow for there to be something bigger than the child in the room. Sure. And we had God and country that was bigger than us in the room. We mightn't have gone along with it and thought it was a bit of, you know, hokum, but it did bind us. Then I noticed, 
then I noticed that um, they did a wonderful school sort of pantomime or play or dance and singing and music. And it was all about the mythological history of the local area, you know, the Tanafars and the making of the mountains and the making of the rivers and all the rest of it. And it was this bizarre and quite frankly absurd hodgepodge paganism with bits grabbed from, you could literally see it grabbed from Maori mythology, a bit of Buddhism, <laughs> you know, the sort of new wave spiritual thinking of nature. And I was sitting there watching this and thinking, you know, we would be doing a nativity play. Like a deep That's right, yeah. And and Christian, Christian Carol at, at Christmas, yes, yeah. Yes, that reached all the way back across thousands of years. Across mm. the world. And here yeah. we are with the teacher dreaming up some her own almost religion yeah. and presenting it. And um that's when I notice it. And this yeah. the, the self self-indulgence of the kids you know went to the local high school where by the way my my wife will growl at me now but i can't i can't stop um where the kids oh, up you should the, pull up there <laughs> yeah the kids did their entrance and the teacher says now if you identify as a boy tick the boy box if you identify as a girl tick the girl box and if you're gender fluid just put non-identified yeah this is the 12 and 13 year olds. And yeah. and and my daughter says none of them thought that was remarkable. That's how they've been brought up. But you see, this, this is what happens when you when you turn away uh from our Judeo-Christian roots, this is where you end up. You end yes, up with not, you don't just end up with silliness, you end up with delusion and you end up yes. with harm because these yes. things people think this is oh, it's just a bit silly. I'm sorry, it's not just a bit silly. This is an ideology that is going to cause harm to a lot and a lot of young people, and already is. Yes, but indeed. anyway, Rodney, just just isn't it remarkable that um, you know w when I think of that service at Watangi, and that that young woman who was who spoke about how Ihu Koraiti, Jesus Christ, had put her life back together. Yes, and and she was completely changed, and, and it's available and, to all of us. Exactly. And then I think of you. Mm -hmm. And I think he's, you know, totally different. Totally different. Totally different person. And yet what? Same thing. Same thing. Same story. Total a change. I think of me, mm. you know, mm. uh, for, I don't know, 40 years ago now, 38 something years ago. Uh, you know, I, I gave my life to Jesus Christ uh, at school and my final year and how that changed me. Uh, and yet you, me, this young woman, we're in our family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, and so and that's where can, the unity comes, you see, because that's where you start to build on that because uh, that reaches across because in Christ we are made one. And it doesn't matter whether you're Māori or Pākehā, in Christ the, the dividing walls are removed and we are made one. That doesn't mean we're made identical, but it means we are made essentially one. Family, yes. and it's on that which you build a strong nation. I agree thoroughly, and um, we got to move 
beyond the argument to a shared belief and respect. Mm. Tell me, this is a personal question on which to end. And sure. it's totally self-indulgent. And I want you to answer honestly, and I will not be offended. You think I haven't answered everything honestly, Robert? <laughs> no, I know you have, but this is of a personal nature. Sure. About me. So people have said to me, oh, Rodney, we so love you. You know, I didn't like you when you were in politics. I thought you were a horrible person, and you seem so nice. Now, I have always regarded myself as a nice person, and I've always thought to myself when I've read these comments, oh, yes, well, that was, you know, how the media portrayed me. But I'm actually lately becoming of a view that actually I wasn't a very nice person, right? I think I had nice sides to me, but that, you know, I was a politician sort of first and foremost, and that actually I have got older, I have matured, as as you know, become a Christian, it changes you. You stood against me. We stood together. I yes, we say, did. Better. What year was that? Oh, look, I, I was a candidate for... Um, Christian political parties over a number of years. And, and in I would, Epsom. Yeah, in, in Epsom. Epsom. Yeah. yeah uh, what, but there were also meetings that I think you were, we were both at where we were candidates presenting yes. on different topics, not just in Epsom, but other How did you find well. me? How did you find me, honestly? I'm Have interested you to, to know. You, you want me to be really honest? Yes, I do. Um, I actually liked you, Rodney. Oh, I, the... <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, there were some politicians who um, shook your hand and looked over your shoulder to find the next person they could talk to. Mm. I won't name names. Yeah. Uh, there were other politicians who just ignored you. Um, but as I always said to my wife, you know, Rodney Hyde, I, I don't necessarily agree with where he's coming from politically, and I think he's missing the mark um, on, on a number yes. of things. But at least he remembers my name. At least yeah. he actually shakes my hand and says hello. And so I always had actually had a lot of time for you, Rodney. Um, so it's oh, not too hard on yourself. <laughs> now, it's such a funny thing because, you know, how you have a, you know, we know ourselves mostly by gossip and, you know, least well. And I thought, well, I, you know, I, I wonder. And um, I've always been, I think, respectful, particularly of candidates. You know, yes, I think you being, were. You were. I, I'm not very nice. I wasn't very nice to other politicians, but to me, they had entered, you know, the ring. And if they were going to have a go, I was happy to have a go, and I quite enjoyed it. But and in some I, ways, we were all. I always was, you know, when we were at a candidates meeting, it's like we were all in this together because yes. everyone was expecting you guys. We, in terms of the candidates, yes, you had to give us all the answers, and if yes. we didn't get the answers. You know, we're not going to vote for you because you don't have all the answers. And I often yes. thought, man, we don't necessarily have all the answers. We have no. some things that we want to um, yeah. promote. So I always felt a, a sense of um, uh, unity in some ways with other candidates, regardless of what party they were I for. think, too, I have always had a respect for Christians. I think that came through, Rodney, yeah. And like, I always had a respect for Bob McCroskey. He and I would get on the radio, Radio Rima, and debate issues. But I always respected him. And we had an MP, Owen Jennings, who was a committed Christian. 
No, yes, I remember, Owen. I stood against him in Taranaki King Country. There you go. And I always appreciated and supported him when there was a conscience vote, voting with his conscience, because I thought, if you're a Christian, you don't answer to Parliament or to the politics of the day. You've got a bigger call to make. And I can't override that and and of course in hindsight i realized on every vote that he had he was uh absolutely uh uh correct but sure. um it's a it's a it's a very very interesting thing to reflect on uh, 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 about that politics well i'll tell you one funny story and then we'll close but it's just an interesting thing tariana turia and i were very close friends she was of course the founder and leader of the maori party that doesn't and, surprise me, actually. I, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. No, well, the way that happened was, was just like you say, uh, and she was joined later by Peter Sharples, but, of course, she got uh, kicked out or left the Labour Party. Yes. And she was, boy, you leave that left, you leave the left, you leave the Labour Party, you are hated. Mm. And she and I would turn up, and it was 2005, to TV debates and to public debates, and she was the leader of the Maori Party, and I was the leader of the ACT Party, and everyone hated us. Not not of the crowd or the TV people, but Labour and National both hated us equally. They were trying to work out who they hated the most. And so <laughs> no one, you'd be waiting to go on TV, and absolutely no one would talk to us. Right. Um, and they were the National Party was never rude to me. They'd just ignore me. But the yeah. Labour Party would be absolutely vicious to Tariana. So naturally, we would end up sort of in a huddled in a corner, chatting away gaily to each other and became quite firm friends week after week uh, through the campaign. And then blow me down um, when we both got into Parliament in 2005, we were seated together side by side. Ah. So we spent many, many hours um, sitting there, chatting away, uh, sharing stories. And it's exactly like you say, when two candidates from disparate views had um, brought together by the wriggles of politics, it was like um, we we became very close. And interestingly, of course, she was a Christian. Yes. And... um, I realised, well, looking back on it, we had the shared understanding. Yeah. Now, I've a lot of time for Tariana Teria. Yeah. yeah. I think she's got quite a different view on some of the things that are going on at the moment. Mm. I bet she but has. She can speak for herself. <laughs> yes, I, I, I bet she has. I remember one time with her, I hope she won't, won't mind me saying this, but we were we were meeting and I we were talking before the election. I said, you know, maybe we could have a cup of coffee and just talk about how things could go in 2005. And or maybe it was two thousand and eight. It was two thousand and eight. Sure. And I said, um, one thing you might have a bit of a problem with Tariana that we are big on is our law and order policy. And I was trying to put it gently. And I said, you know, when people murder and rape and that and commit violence, um, we think they should get a strike, and there'd be three strikes, and each time they re-offend they sort of get a bigger punishment to send a message. And so the first strike, they just get their sentence. The second strike, they get the sentence, but no parole. 
and the third strike, they get the maximum sentence allowed under the law automatically. And she looked at me and she said, why three strikes? Why not just one? <laughs> <laughs> but right. then she had to add that maybe Pitta didn't have such a view. But yes. it's just it's just this wonderful thing again of reminding ourselves how much we share in common our humanity, mm. our history, our Christian belief, our Christian origins to our country and nationhood. And how we need to appeal to that more than just argue with each other endlessly. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Ewan, uh, we're going to remind everyone of your wonderful book. I'm out of practice. I've forgotten to tell everyone that I'm speaking with Ewan McQueen. He is an economist, an analyst, uh, an author, a politician, and he's written a wonderful book called One Sun in the Sky. I got the title right, Ewan? Yeah, that's right. It's One Sun in the Sky, the untold story of sovereignty and the Treaty of Waitangi. Yeah. If you're listening, if you've got $39, go without dinner tonight and buy the book because that's how significant it is. It is actually food for your soul, for your mind, for your understanding. And it's a beautiful book. I couldn't recommend it uh, highly enough. And if you can afford it, get a couple because you will want to share it. And the more people that read that book, it's a bit like reading the gospel. The more people that read that book, the better off our future will become. And even those people that understand our history well and are on the right side of the discussion, that is to say they agree with you and I, still read the book because you'll understand why it is so important and you will be inspired just like in reading the gospel. Thank you, Ewan. Thank you for your time. You're wonderful. I hope you'll come back and share us, share your views with us. You're on Radley Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for listening. It's a bit nervous being back, um, forgetting to push the bright buttons. But here we are, and it's so wonderful to be sharing the morning with you and also our wonderful guests, how lucky we are and how truly blessed we are with the great guests that we can have on our show. And here in New Zealand, we have truly amazing people. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.